we are all familiar with the idea of membership and what it means to be members of something. I suppose that every single person who's in the room this morning has a membership in something. It might be some kind of a club that you're a member of. It might be uh, an association, some kind of a society that you're a member of. Maybe you're a member of a rowing community. We are members of a variety of things. Maybe you're a member of a sports team. Maybe you are a BJ's member, so you can get your discounts and buy what you need to get at BJ's. In some ways, perhaps, as we approach the biblical idea of membership, in some ways perhaps it is helpful for us to be so familiar with what it means to be a member. Uh, because perhaps it's an easy way to get hold of something. We think of, okay, I know what it means to be a member of something, and therefore I know what it means to be a member of the church. The vocabulary is at least familiar to us. It's not an odd-sounding word in any way. But C.S. Lewis, in an article, the, the article is entitled Membership, and if you're interested in looking at it, it's within the book, uh, The Weight of Glory, which is, it's an article, but it's actually a, 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 a lecture that he gave at one point. He notes that, in fact, it, it, our familiarity with membership and the fact that we are members of any number of organizations also might be detrimental to us. It, it might have some costs when we come to think about what it means to be a member of the church because instead of starting with what Paul, for example, has said about membership, we might in fact be more tempted to think about the clubs, the things that we're part of, and understand church membership in light of that. And so Lewis suggests that that might in fact be dangerous. It might actually corrupt what it means to be a member of the church. Let me just read what's on the front of your bulletin so that we set membership in the context of what Paul writes. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That's what Paul is thinking of when he describes members. Membership, as Lewis writes in this article, membership is actually a profoundly biblical concept. The idea of membership, even the words that are used. And yet Lewis, as well as many other writers, have noted that membership in general and membership in the church in particular is oft times met by us, or at least by our contemporaries, with a high degree of skepticism when you think about becoming a member of something. Why is that? Well, we certainly, and I, I'm saying we here, we Americans, certainly live in a culture where we prefer to keep our options open. I don't like the idea of being tied down, of being committed to something. I know, personally speaking, that's been part of my DNA somehow since I was born. I don't like committing myself to things, and I'd rather not. I'd rather just go with the flow that happens to be around. We don't like to be locked in. 
another thought is that many of us have seen the underbelly of so many people, of so many organizations, including the church, that we grow leery. We grow leery of authority that might exist, of vows that we might take. We grow very leery of the promises that are made related to membership. We've probably all been disappointed at some point along the way with having become a member of something, something that when we looked at it from the outside, we thought, this is going to be great. This, this, is, this is the best group of people. This is the best organization I've ever seen. I can't wait to be a member. And then we become a member, we get on the inside, and we realize that, you know, it's not quite all it was cracked up to be. I thought it was going to be this. It seemed to me it was going to be like this, but you know what? I got in there, and the people aren't so great, and I just don't seem to fit with the others who are there. And so what can happen to us, whether we actually do it or whether we just subtly begin to do it, we can reject the formality of membership and, if you will, prefer a loose kind of natural flow of connections. I don't really have to be pinned down by one group or another. I just kind of go to that one, to that one, to that one, and nobody misses me if I'm not there. I felt that way. I felt that way about the church, and I suspect that every single person in this room has also felt that way. If not about the church, then about something else that you have been a member of. And so today, what I'd like us to do, and we'll do it fairly briefly, but we'll do it using the Ephesian text that I've read and using the 1 Corinthians text that is on the front of your bulletin. I'd like to look at four elements of church membership and try to rebiblicize our own thoughts and our own perceptions about membership to see if we can allow the word of God to do that work in our lives. So, so four thoughts on this idea of membership. And the first is this, and this is where we'll begin. The idea is that members belong. We get that? That's common. Members belong to something. In our case, what members belong to is the family of the Trinity. Nothing less than that. You belong as a family member in the Trinity. Members are in Christ, adopted in Christ by the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit. As members of the church, we are members of the household of God, members of the Trinitarian family. We belong to him. We belong to his family. And because of that fact, because of this work of God that allows us to be part of the family of God, we also belong as members to one another. Because, in fact, we belong to the same family. We have the same father. We have the same spirit. We are adopted by the same son, which is to say, we have the same brother who has saved us. We are then 
members of one another. This is not a metaphor. It is not a metaphor. There are plenty of metaphors that are used in various places in Scripture, and we're try, try to be careful to identify when we're talking about a metaphor. This is not a metaphor. This is the reality. It is somehow, if we could accept this, a greater reality, a truer, more eternal reality than the membership that we have in our own families. We are members of one another by faith, by the work of the Father in uniting us together. It is a spiritual reality that exists and it is expressed by Paul, in particular in the Ephesians passage that is before us by all the many uses of the word one that is here. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all, in whom all things are brought together. That is who we are in Christ. We are one in Christ. Now, for a moment, just think of the way, how do we think about oneness? Well, we typically think about oneness and that word oneness with reference to marriage because the Bible talks about it that way, right? So uh, it's not good that they shall be alone, they shall become one flesh. So we talk about the oneness of marriage and the oneness that exists in a family. Well, what Paul, if we allowed him to go a little bit further in Ephesians is saying, is that is reflective of something greater. The oneness of marriage is a subset and, if you will, a metaphor to describe the greater spiritual reality of our oneness in the family and household of God and of our oneness that exists with one another as a result of all of the things that Paul has said here. It is, of course, true that the church, like the family, like the state, the church has organizational elements to it. So it has leadership, it has ways that decisions are made, it has committees and it has discipline, it has structure to it, it has organizational elements to it. But the church is more fundamentally organic. We are, in fact, not just members of a club. This is not a club. When Paul talks about members, when he talks about this idea, he always ends up talking about the body as an analogy. He can't talk about this idea and not get to the point where he begins to discuss the body. It's clearly true, if you're familiar with things, with that 1 Corinthians 12 passage that I referenced before, and that is on the front of your bulletin. And it's true here as well. He's trying to figure out ways to express the unity of this family, and he ends up talking about making the body grow. Verse 16, from whom the whole body being joined and held together. Your body has members, parts to it, but you are one body. You don't think of yourself as just a bunch of different individual parts who happen to be members of the same club that is you. Instead, your members function together as one body. This oneness exists in and by the triune God. But lest we be tempted to hear of this, okay, great, God has made us to be one, lest we hear that and think that it becomes for us an excuse to passivity. It is instead 
used by Paul as a foundation for activity. A foundation it becomes. So verse 3, what he says here is that you be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Be eager to maintain that. So a question to members old and new, are you eager to do that? Are you eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. So, members belong. That's one of the first things we can say from these passages. Secondly, we can note that in Corinthians, in Ephesians, members receive benefits from the membership that they enjoy. Now, we could talk really grandly here about the benefits that we receive from membership. We could talk about the benefit just of belonging. It's good to belong to something. Uh, that feels good. We could talk about the benefits of salvation. And Paul has talked about that for three chapters, and I don't want to minimize that at all. I just want to focus on particularly what are the benefits that are received, or to say it the other way, what are the benefits that are given to members that are articulated, particularly in this Ephesians passage that we've got before us. Verse 7, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So each one of you who are standing up here today, grace was given to each of you according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 11 articulates some of the ways that that has manifested itself over the course of history. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. That's some of the ways that the grace given to Jesus in measure manifests itself in our lives. We have been given in the church of Jesus Christ, various gifts and various callings within the unity of the body. Amongst the many things that that means is that membership in the church of Jesus Christ is not an effort to get everybody to look and think and function and act the same. There is a wonderful differentiation in the gifts, in the personalities, in the experiences that God has poured out and poured into his church. We're not seeking to get us all into a dreary sameness here. God gives us instead this differentiation to make it beautiful, to make it functional, to make it wonderfully diverse. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine if everybody in our church was just like you. Would you want to be a part of that church where everybody was just like you? Everybody had the same taste that you had. Everybody had the same values exactly that you had. Everybody had the same interest that you had. And everybody did exactly the same thing that you did. I couldn't stand being part of that church for one minute if everybody was like me. There is a wonderful diversity that has been given to us in these gifts that are different from one another, that manifest themselves in different ways in everyone's life that are according to the measure of Christ. How boring it would be if we were all exactly the same. But he gives these different gifts, and he gives them in various measures, and he gives us different roles. Now, I want to be clear here. Obviously, families, 
churches share core commonalities. Okay, that, that's what we're doing in worship. We're celebrating the, the things that we have in common with one another, the faith that we share, the songs that we sing in, unit, in unison, the, the faith that we confess together in unity. But we also celebrate diversified expressions of that faith because of the varying gifts that have been given to us by God. Members belong, members receive benefits, and in light of these benefits, in light of these gifts that have been given, members in a church take on responsibilities accordingly. Gifts are given by Jesus to be enjoyed, but at least in terms of the church, the gifts that are given by Jesus to be enjoyed through his spirit are only enjoyed as they are employed. You can't take your spiritual gifting home and look at it and think about how pretty it is and how lovely it is and how well-suited it is to you and find joy in that. You only find joy in these benefits, in these gifts that have been received, as you serve, as you give according to the measure that Christ has given to you. Think of your body for a moment. You're fearfully, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by God with parts, with members that do different things. Think of Bonnie or a musician playing an instrument. How many parts of the body are engaged in the playing of the instrument? Well, obviously the hands, the feet are engaged in playing the instrument. The eyes are engaged in reading the music. The ear is engaged in listening to how it sounds. The, the, the seat is sitting uh, in the case of the piano. Everything is engaged and it's all different but it all comes together as these parts are doing the things that they're supposed to do and then making this, making beautiful music with which we can sing along and enjoy and rejoice and worship during it. The church is similarly membered. It is peopled with those who are gifted unto the service of one another why are you gifted? Why are you? You're gifted unto the service of the other members of this body and unto our growth together. You are gifted by God so that we can grow together. Uh, and that's clear in this Ephesians passage, verse 15. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then verse 16 as well. This, when it's all working properly together, makes the body grow. That is the purpose for which we have been gifted. In other words, we need you. The person sitting two rows in front of you, two rows behind you, that person needs you using, employing, the gifts that you have been given 
for the sake of their growth. We're tempted a lot of times to think of membership individually speaking. I'm individually a member of the church. We are collectively members of the church who when we exercise what has been given to us by Jesus through the Spirit, then cause growth in the people who are around us as well. Now, we've just heard vows, and the vows that we've heard, most of the people in this room have taken those vows at some point. And those vows, not only do they express our individual faith in God, our individual commitment and desire to follow after God, but those are vows that bind us together. We are linked with one another in a way that we are not linked with other people in Conshohocken or in your neighborhoods. We have vowed, and through those vows and through the work of Christ, more ultimately than the vows, we are linked together. We live in a culture that as much as it would take membership, I think, lightly, takes vows lightly as well, or doesn't take them at all because it takes them so lightly. And we live in a culture, an evangelical culture, and we have to hear this, we have to be aware of this, we live in an evangelical culture that takes membership lightly. That looks at church membership as if it is an item on the buffet table. And as soon as you see something better, or as soon as this buffet table doesn't seem to you to be as tasty as it should be, and perhaps some other buffet table looks more enticing to you, we go. We move. That is the reality that is around us. If the church doesn't suit me, if the vow seems like it's too much, we move on. Now, I want to be careful here. Uh, if you know me, I'm a realist. I'm not an idealist. I know that things happen. We move. Things happen in the life of the church. There are various seasons of life. I get it. I know all of those things. That said, with, with understanding that those things exist, we have to be aware, each of us has to be aware of how much consumerism has infiltrated our thoughts about what it means to be a member of the church. Because what consumerism says is, listen, if you don't like it, go to the next one. Leave. Choose another product immediately. That has infected us, and it has shaped our view of membership and of responsibilities, we instead must be diligent in our vows and not take them lightly, not take them as optional. And again, recognizing something here, let me, let me now put this back into another situation that's familiar to us. I just can't shirk responsibilities in my family. I can't just say, you know what, I had a bad day at work, I don't feel like going home. I'm just not going to go home today, I'm going to go and do something else, something that I want to do instead of going home. I can't shirk responsibilities at home by saying, you know what, I'm a little dissatisfied with my spouse. My kids haven't been actually really obedient recently, I'm going someplace else. I'm going to pitch my tent someplace else. We don't have the option to say that, and most of us at least recognize that we don't have the option to say that. And yet, we take the church much more lightly than that. Now, I appreciate the differences, okay? 
I appreciate it. But we've at least got to be challenged by the parallel between these two things, by the vows that exist in both circumstances, and be challenged with how seriously we take the one and how lightly we take the other. We've got to be aware of that. In case you don't know this, I did this with the buffet tables just a moment ago, the grass always looks greener. If you look at the grass outside there, and if you stand here and look at the grass down at St. Matt's, the grass at St. Matt's looks greener. It will always look greener to you. Whatever church you are part of, another church will seem greener to you than the church where you are presently. And guess what? Sometimes it actually is greener. Sometimes it really is greener in another place. And you know what you do then? You work on your lawn. You work on your lawn. You aerate it. You overseed it. You get a service. That's what you do. You work on it. We need you. We need you being you in this body. We don't need you being me or me being you. You need to be you for the sake of the health of this body. That's what membership means. We need you using your gifts. We need you developing your gifts. We need you challenging yourselves and trying different things in the church to discover your gifts. If you go, I don't know what my gifts are. All right, well, challenge yourselves. Put yourselves in some different situations. And sometimes we need you forget what gifts you have. We just need your hands. We just need you to help with the grass. And you don't have to be gifted to do that. You might have to be healthy to do that, but we don't actually need you to have a spiritual gift to get out here and help us on a work day. We just need your body and your soul. But we just need help sometimes. But let me say this. Let me turn it around. Not only do we need you serving and growing and helping us to grow, you need to be doing that as well. You need it. As much as the body needs it, as much as I need your help and others in this room need your help in order to grow, you need that as well. Your enjoyment of and growth in Christ in the church is directly proportional to your participation and exercise of your gifts and service. Your sense of being a part of this body is directly proportional to what you put in it. I'm sorry, that is as clear as I can say it. If you don't participate in the life of the body, if you're not engaging your gifts in the body, guess what will happen? At some point, you will either say it or not say it, but you'll look around and you'll say, I don't feel as connected here. I think I would feel more connected if I were at another place, if I was at another church, because surely the people would be more friendly there, the atmosphere would be better, and I would fit in better in that place. Your enjoyment of life in this church is directly proportional to what you put in it. There's no other way to say it. Serving and growing in the body according to your gifts will provide you with the life, that which is good for you. It connects us together. And that brings me to the last point, and that is this. Members love. Members love. We are not a factory. 
Myself notwithstanding, we are not a sweatshop. We are not a machine. When I was thinking about this sermon today, for whatever reason, early in the week, I had machine analogies in my mind. I wanted to ask, you know, kind of what is your favorite machine? And think about your favorite machine and how it works and how you love when your favorite machine works really well. That's what I wanted to do. Uh, and I wanted to, to say, think about when it gets gummed up, when your machine that you love, whatever it is, is not working well and how frustrated you get by that machine working well. And I was going to talk about the harmony of the parts of machines and how we can love machines and what they do. And then I thought, you know what, that analogy actually breaks down right away. Because Paul doesn't talk about machines. When he's talking about this, he always then talks about the body. We're not workers in a corporation. We're not members of a sports team. You know, what corporation or what sports team doesn't at some point say, we're a family? One of the major car manufacturers recently was running a series of ads. I won't say it. One of the big three was saying, we're the blank family. And I'm thinking to myself, what does that even mean? What does it even mean to own the same particular brand of car and say that we're members of a family? Now, if you own a really exotic car and you're members of that family, that's cool, and I'll give you membership uh, in that. But not just if you own a Chevy Ford or Chrysler. That doesn't make you a family member of something. It just means you own a Chevy or Ford or a Chrysler, but everybody likes to sell that idea as we are not members of a corporation. We are not soldiers in an army. We are not members of a country club at which we pay our dues to get what we want. That's what it means to be a member of a country club. You don't join a country club in order to serve. You join a country club, you pay your dues to get what you want. This is not a country club. It is the family and the household of God. Our end game and our starting point is love. There are four places in the New Testament that speak of gifts. The gifts that are given by the Spirit to be employed in the life of the church. One is Ephesians 4 that we are reading right here today. And it ends with this. It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What do you have your gift for? To love. A second is 1 Corinthians 12, which is the passage that we've referenced. It's the one that's printed on the front of your bulletin. And when you get to the end of 1 Corinthians 12, what do you find? 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. I will show you still a more excellent way, just in case you're confused about these gifts. It's unto love. Romans 12 also talks about the distribution of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know where Romans 12 goes as soon as we're done talking about the Spirit? Let us love one another genuinely. 1 Peter 4 is the final place in the New Testament that we talk about the gifts. And it begins with love one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. We can talk about these gifts, but we are not a machine and we are not a corporation and we are not a team. We are a family and what we are called to do is to start in love and to aim for love. It is the aim of our charge, it is the chief of our affections. 
It is what we are pursuing together. And you know why? Because we're members of the Trinity. We have been adopted into the family and the household of God. And if you ask yourself, what do the members, members of the Trinity do as they relate to one another? The answer is they love. And that's why love should characterize us, we, who belong to that same family. Members belong, members receive benefits, members take on responsibilities and see them through, and members love. A challenge to all of us, some today entered into that covenant with this church, a challenge to all of us to rebiblicize our idea of membership, to understand it in light of the scriptures, not in light of the pressures of the culture and of the temptations that we all have to want to minimize what it means to be one body. Lord, we all, before you, confess. I, chief amongst us, confess that these things are easy to say, but when it then comes to actually doing them, actually growing in serving and helping others to grow, I fall far short of those things. For all of us, we ask that you would forgive us where there have been times and moments where we have hoped secretly that no one would ask us to do anything, that we have felt proud of that moment wherein we resisted a call, happy that we didn't volunteer to do something that would have ate into our time. Forgive us, gracious God. We thank you for that which you have purchased for us with the blood of your Son. You have purchased for us membership in your family, to be adopted into your family and into your household. And we pray, by your mercy and by your grace and through the gifting of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to love one another, that we would grow and deepen in our affection from one another, for one another. We pray that you would be gracious to us and do that which is beyond us. The indwelling Holy Spirit can remind us of these things, can point us to the work of Christ, can change the heart of stone and allow us to love you. We pray that you would do that mighty work, Spirit of God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.